Last Sunday night, Lisa and I got together with some friends and we watched the series finale of Downton Abbey. This was mostly Lisa's idea, but I will admit uh, that along the way, in six seasons, is that what it was? Six seasons, there were a number of characters that you begin to sort of connect with, and it was sort of interesting to watch, and I was interested in the series finale, how they were going to wrap up all of the storylines. Now, if you're not familiar with the show... Uh, it's set in sort of the 1920s in England, and it's kind of talking about the changing times and having to make adjustments uh, to, to difficult things that were going on. One of the things or one of the themes they kept showing or talking about was that of courtship and dating. In fact, if I counted right, by the final episode, uh, there were only two people who didn't have a significant other or prospects for a significant other. One was Barrow, who was one of the servants, and the other was the uh, Dowager Countess. Those were the only two people who didn't have somebody uh, that the show kind of wrote in for them. But of all of that courtship and dating, in the final episode, the relationship that most struck me or interested me was that between Lord and Lady Grantham, that they're sort of the patriarch and the matriarch of the show. And Lord and Lady Grantham, there wasn't courting and dating between them. They'd been married a long time. But in the final episode, I sort of got a sense that they were renewing their vows to one another. There wasn't a formal ceremony or anything. But at some point, the writers had kind of written in uh, that Lord Grantham had begun to take his wife for granted, like he didn't appreciate her, that he was no longer seeing it as his responsibility to serve her. And there's a powerful scene where he's watching his wife uh, volunteer and do something really great, and he's reminded of what an amazing wife he has. And at some point at the end of the show, they kind of look to each other and like, hey, our kids are grown up and they're moving out of the house and they're getting married. And hey, it's the two of us. And he reaffirms his commitment to her, his commitment to serve her. And she does the same for him. And I'm watching that and I'm thinking, you know, that's actually a good metaphor for what we're going to be talking about this morning from Joshua chapter 24. This idea of renewing vows. You see, in the case of Israel, Israel is married to the Lord, so to speak. And so in the book of Joshua, we were reminded of their marriage to their Lord, their wedding to the Lord, in Joshua 5, when they went through the covenant of circumcision, which was a covenant to talk about the fact that they were becoming the people of God and God was going to be their God. That's sort of like the marriage ceremony. Joshua 24 this is like the opportunity for them to renew their vows, to be able to commit themselves to the Lord. And so if you will, take a Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 24. It's page 188, Joshua chapter 24. While I was gone, Pastor Tom did a great job of going through the last few chapters of the book of Joshua. All of that, in fact, all of the book of Joshua has really been pointing towards Joshua chapter 24. And in Joshua chapter 24, we have the opportunity not just to observe what the nation of Israel did, 
but the opportunity for you and I here today to think through and reaffirm our commitment to the Lord. So Joshua 24, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help. And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Now up to this point, what Joshua is doing, he's got the whole nation there in front of him. The leaders are with him. He's addressing the entire nation. And he's going back and reviewing some stuff from their history. Some of it is ancient history for them. He's talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. No one standing there at this point had ever met or seen Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. But God is reminding those people that God was faithful to their ancestors, that God did for Abraham what he had promised to do. Then as Joshua is taking them through, he moves from their ancestors to some things they saw early in their life. He begins to talk about Moses and the time in Egypt. He talks about the plagues and going through the Red Sea. Now, none of these people would have been adults at that time except for Caleb and Joshua. But many of them would have been children. They would have been children. And you can imagine being a child and walking through the Red Sea. You can imagine seeing those plagues and talking about them, being able to process that with the eyes of a child, with the kind of faith that only a child can have. And Joshua is reminding them, you yourselves saw God do really amazing things when you were younger. But now he moves not from their ancestors and from their distant past to their more recent past. So keep reading with you. Verse 8. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, and the king of Moab prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. And so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. That's the beginning of the book of Joshua. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you 
which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. That's recalling the battles that we saw at the beginning of the book of Joshua where they crossed the Jordan River and the walls of Jericho fall down. How God forgave them for Achan's sin and gave them a great victory at Ai and Bethel. How God caused the sun to stand still in the sky when the southern kings were aligned against them. How God gave them a great victory when the northern hosts were aligned against them. In all of those cases... God was being faithful. They saw it. This is not ancient history. This has been the past seven years. They've watched God do these things. He continues, verse 13. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. That's the second half of the book of Joshua. We said there was a little bit of mind-numbing detail, but it was important because God was allotting to them their land. And they're currently living in those cities. They didn't build the walls of those cities. They're picking grapes off the grapevines they didn't plant or cultivate. And Joshua is reminding them, God has been faithful to you to this very day. Not just to your ancestors, not just in the distant past. He's doing things right now. He's driven people out. It wasn't your sword. It wasn't your bow. It wasn't your might. You didn't build these cities. You didn't plant these grapevines. God is doing things for them. Now, of course, we're not here for history lesson. We're here because God wants us to know that in our past as well, If you're a believer in Jesus, I'm sure you can look back. And perhaps for some of your ancestors, you can look back about how God brought your parents to faith or your grandparents to faith. Maybe you can look back and see how God brought your great-grandparents safely to this country. Maybe you can look even at times when you were younger, when you came to faith, or when God took care of you or protected you, how God provided you with meaningful work or relationships or a great family or took you on an adventure or whatever it may be God has been faithful and if you and I take some time and look in our past for our ancestors and even in our own distant past we see the faithfulness of God but not just that even a year ago when we started the book of Joshua Many of us are able to look back and to see how God brought a healing into someone that we love, how God brought someone to faith that we had been praying would come to faith, how God's been faithful to us uh, to provide us in the midst of a difficult provide for us in the midst of a difficult financial situation, how God's walked through us through the situation of a wayward child, how God has been near to us and brought us conviction of sin and then forgiveness and grace to go along with it, how God guided and directed us with decisions that we had to make about where to go to college, how God protected us from the evil one and gave us victory. And we can look back even over this past year and say God's not just been at work in the distant past. He's not just been at work for our ancestors. He's been at work this year for us. That we look and we see, yeah, there was suffering, yeah, there was difficulty, but the Lord was with us the whole time. With that in mind, Joshua gives to the children of Israel, and God gives to you and I this morning 
the challenge and proposal in response to his faithfulness. When you and I think back over the past year or the past couple of years or the past 40 years and we see God's faithfulness, what is the proper response? Verses 14 and 15. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now there's a couple of words we need to pay close attention to in verses 14 and 15. The first is the word serve. It appears seven times in these two verses. The word serve is related to or comes from a couple of different words. One is the idea of doing or making, the Hebrew word for doing or making. This is an active word. We're supposed to be doing something. It's also connected to the word for worship, that we are offering to God what he is worth, that we are worshiping his name. And then it's connected to the word that means to be enslaved, servitude. And the idea here is Joshua is saying to the children of Israel, and God is saying to us today, commit to serving God. Now listen, this is not a marriage proposal. The Lord and Israel were married earlier in the book, so to speak. If you're a Christian here today, you've already been through a covenant ceremony with God. You're his child. This is the opportunity to renew that covenant. And what Joshua is saying is, look at all the faithfulness. Look at what God has done for you this past year. Look at what God has done in the past to be faithful to you. Make the choice to choose now to serve him. What's the proper response? God has been serving us. He sent his son to die for us. He's brought us to where we are today. What's the proper response? It's to see God's faithfulness and to choose to be a person who serves him in return. Mm -hmm. That's what Joshua is saying. Is stop being a person who simply takes love from God. Be a person who gives love back to God as well. Don't be just a person who accepts blessings from the Lord. Choose to be a person who passes on those blessings to others with gratitude to God. This is the invitation. God has been serving you. Our proper response? To commit ourselves to turn around and serve him in return. After all, when you think about the metaphor of marriage, this is what marriage is about. It's not about being served, but serving. But it's easy to forget that, isn't it? 
It's easy to forget. It's easy to think, no, marriage is about me getting what I want. How much more in our relationship with God? How much easier is it for us to think, no, 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 me being a Christian is about me getting what I want from God. Listen, God's blessings in our life are innumerable. Our response is to turn around and serve this God who never leaves us, who never forsakes us, who is always working for our good. The other word that's important in these two verses is the word choose. See it in verse 15? Choose for yourselves this day. Four things about this word choose in this passage. Number one, the word choose means to think carefully. It's a well thought out, considered decision. Joshua didn't gather the Israelites together, start playing really emotional music, try to get them whipped up into a frenzy, have some sort of really emotional scene and get them to sign on the dotted line to serve the Lord. This is not an emotional sort of thing. That's why I think the idea of renewing vows is a good metaphor. Sometimes in courtship and in dating, we get uh, focused on the emotions of the whole thing, which is great. But in the renewing of a vow, there is this pondering, this considering, this thinking where you've observed what it's like to be married to this person and you are making a conscious decision, I want to serve this person. God's saying, look at what I've done for you. Examine the evidence. See all that I've done. Consider, look. If money's taking good care of you like I'm taking good care of you, serve money. If you're as good at taking care of yourself as I am as taking care of you, serve yourself. But look at what I'm doing for you. Consider what I've done. That while you were still a sinner, I sent my son to die for you. That every time you've walked away from me, I've pursued you with grace. When everybody else left you, I stood by your side. When no one else would tell you the truth about the sin in your life, I not only told you, but I forgave you. Think about it. Second thing about the word choose. Everyone chooses someone to serve. Everyone chooses someone to serve. See what Joshua's saying? The gods beyond the Euphrates that our ancestors used to worship you can choose to serve them. The gods that Yahweh kicked out of this land, you can choose to serve them. Or you can choose to serve the one true God. Everybody chooses someone to serve. Now, the gods beyond the Euphrates and the gods of the Amorites, we know them by different names today. Money, sex, power, fame, the approval of others, comfort, success. What Joshua is saying is everybody chooses to serve some God. And if you say, I'm not choosing any of those things, you've still made a choice. Yes, you have. 
you've chosen to serve self. And that's the most subtle and the most powerful of gods. Now listen to what Joshua is saying. To choose to serve money or yourself or other people's approval, those are viable options. You can make a choice to serve those things. You can make a choice to go after success or go after money or go after your own pleasure or go after whatever your heart's desire is. That's a viable option. What's not a viable option is to choose to serve God and those things. Look in verses 19 and 20. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. The point is, you can choose. Everybody serves somebody. Joshua is saying, look, It's foolish, but it is a viable choice. You can choose money. You can choose yourself. You can choose success. You can choose sex. You can choose power. There are lots of gods to choose to serve. What is not a viable option is to think, I will serve the Lord and money. I will serve God and myself. Joshua says, God will not allow it. You can make a choice. Any of the gods or just yourself, You can choose any of them. Everybody chooses to serve someone or something. Joshua says, choose God. Third thing about this word choose or this idea in this passage. Every individual has to choose for themselves. Joshua says, choose yourselves whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we're serving the Lord. See, there's lots of things that Israel experienced corporately and collectively. They went through the Jordan River together. The walls fell down for them together. The sun stood still in the sky for all of them. But Joshua in chapter 24 is saying, but there is a decision that only you as an individual can make. Every person must choose for themselves. And the same is true today. You must choose whom you are going to serve. I can't choose for you. Your spouse can't choose for you. Your parents can't choose for you. Your kids can't choose for you. Your small group can't choose for you. The friends around you can't choose for you. This church can't choose for you. Choose for yourself. I've made my choice. Joshua says, I've already decided. I've seen what the Lord has done. I've looked at what money can offer and what sex can offer and what power can offer and what pleasing other people can offer. Those are empty, vain gods. I've seen that God knock down those walls. I've seen that guy split those waters and we've walked through it. I've seen that God stop the sun in the sky. I've made my choice. I choose to serve him. But you have to make your own choice. You have to make your own choice, every single individual. Listen, you can be 10 years old right here in this sanctuary. You have to choose. Your parents can't choose for you. Your Sunday school teacher can't choose for you. Each and every person must choose for themselves. Fourth thing about this word, choose. 
Today is the day to make the choice. Choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Choose today who you're going to serve. The Bible says today, if you hear the Lord's voice, do not harden your hearts like you did in the days of the rebellion. If you hear God's voice in your heart, not my voice, God's voice in your heart, today is the day to choose. Not, well, maybe a month from now, maybe a couple of years from now, maybe 10 years from now, I'll make a decision. Today, choose this day whom you're going to serve. So what do we do with this teaching at the end of the book of Joshua? I got three applications. Number one has to do with Grace Beyond, which is our building project. The book of Joshua... I believe, was chosen for us by the Lord through the elders of the church because it goes with this project that we're doing. In many ways, what's been going on here has been going on here in the, in the text. Over this past year, while we've been doing the book of Joshua, we've seen God do amazing things in this Grace Beyond Building project. I got home from my study leave, and we've got a youth space that's done. Have you been in it? Have you seen it? It's pretty great. Next week, we get to dedicate a prayer garden that we promised to Jesus five years ago. It's done. We get to give it to him next week. I look at the fact that since we started the book of Joshua, an additional $4 million in pledges has come in. I look at the fact that this past Monday night, the elders got together and, we got, we, we, and the deacons and we got the bids uh, for the rest of the project and they were in line with what we were expecting them to be and we were praising the Lord that God had provided for that. Look at the fact that God has given us a place at Calvin to meet. On my study break, I told many of this on Sunday night. I went and visited a church that just went through a project almost identical to what we're going through. They were out of their sanctuary for six months. They had to do 11 services on a weekend. They didn't have any place big enough to hold all of them. They had to parcel out to all the... God provided us with a place where we can meet together as a church. God's been doing these amazing things. When I read Joshua 24 and I think about grace beyond, I look and I say, God's not only been faithful in the past, he's been faithful this past year. And our response as a church is, choose this day if you're going to serve him in this or not. Listen, if God's placed you at Calvary Church... This is the project that he's given us to do and he's asking all of us to submit to the leadership of the church and do the project the way that God has asked us to do it. If God's calling you to another church, personally, I don't want you to go, but if God's calling you, I want you to go be where God wants you to be. Obey him. But if he's called you here, this is what we're doing. And God has asked through the leadership, if you're going to serve me, the way you serve me is pray and ask what it is you're supposed to give, pledge it, and then give it, and keep giving it even if it hurts. God has said, if you're here, what we're doing as a church is we're going to Calvin. Choose to serve and come with us. Volunteer for what needs to be volunteered for. The point is, if God's calling you somewhere else, you need to be where God is calling you. But if God has called you here to this place, 
You have to make a choice. I've made my choice. My family's made their choice. Many of the families at Calvary Church have made their choice. But please hear me from the bottom of my heart. I spent a lot of time asking the Lord about this, praying about this, talking with other people. God has given us a season. I'm like, Lord, why is this taking us so long to get through this? It's a season where he's left an opening, where he can be merciful. He wants us to obey. This has very little to do with the building and everything to do with will you obey? This is choose who you will serve, not choose who's going to serve you. God's already serving us. This is our chance to serve him. And when we serve him, we are not in charge. We do what he tells us to do. God's very clear. The window's closing. There's still a chance. Come with us. Participate. But choose today. Every individual who's a part of Calvary Church has to make that choice. Second application. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, so this is not a salvation message. If you want to know how to become a Christian, I'll be available down front after the service. I would love to explain it to you. On Easter Sunday, we're going to get a chance to look at the gospel. We're going to get a chance for anybody who doesn't know Jesus to be able to hear how it is that you become a Christian. Today, this is not a salvation message, so please don't get these confused. This is an opportunity for those who are Christians who have never committed themselves to serve God to do it today, okay? There's a difference between becoming a Christian and making a commitment to serve the Lord. And you may be a Christian and you may have seen God's blessing in your life and you may have seen the forgiveness of sins, That's exactly what's going on in Joshua. God starts doing all of his stuff. God starts serving us and blessing us. But at some point, each and every believer in Jesus has to make a decision. I choose to serve that God. Mm -hmm. Now look, this has nothing to do with being in ministry or being a pastor. That has nothing to do with anything. It has everything to do with after you have seen the faithfulness of God to you, Will you today choose to serve him? And so this morning, if you've never actually made that choice, if you've been walking along in the Christian faith and you've been enjoying the blessings and the experience, but you've never actually said, I choose, I choose to serve the Lord. Today's the day to do that. Third application. If you have chosen to serve the Lord, if you've made a commitment to do this, but you've walked away from that commitment. If you have eyes for other gods, if you look around in your life and you think, I think money has found a place in my heart that it shouldn't have found. I think my own pleasure and comfort has found a place it shouldn't have. Listen, it happens to all of us. It's happened to me more times than I care to admit. But the response is, renew your vow. Joshua is saying, hey, look, if money is doing great, serve money. If you're doing a good job taking care of yourself, serve yourself. If going after sex at all costs is working out for you, keep doing it. If not, come back to the Lord that you promised you were going to serve. Return to your first love. Listen. Every single one of us who are believers in Jesus go through periods in which our hearts wander away. The application of this text, if that is where you are today, choose this 
day to serve him again. It doesn't remake you a Christian. You didn't lose your salvation. It's like you're in a marriage and in your marriage you've started serving yourself and things aren't going very well in the marriage. What are you supposed to do? Look at your spouse and say, I'm sorry, I want to get back to serving you instead of myself.